Hello and welcome. This is Friend Request. I'm your host, Justin Lamb, and this is episode 85 with my friend, Katie Mack. Katie Mack, oh man, she is a trip. I had so much fun talking to her and I wanted it to last for hours longer. Um, it, you know, I can't, can't have you guys just listen to us bullshit back and forth for hours. Uh, you are going to enjoy this just as much as I did. There's a lot of uh, fun energy and comedy and honesty that Katie gives off, and it's infectious, and I think you will love it. So without further ado, here is my friend, Katie Mack. You and I have lots in common. My request is sent. Would you like to be my friend? Would you like to be my friend? This is, this is going to be a disaster, but a really great one. <laughs> Absolutely, without a doubt. There's um, no way this is going well. It's. I think I just don't see us having a normal conversation for more than like 10 minutes without trailing off on something. But that's what this is all about. I... <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, hi. 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 <laughs> thanks, <laughs> thanks for coming. Um, I'm super happy you're on a little screen in front of me and I'm so happy you were very enthusiastically agreed to do this. <laughs> Are you kidding me? You say anything. I'm like, yeah, that sounds great. Well, I'll tell you um, what, I'm going to backtrack on that. Cause I thought you were enthusiastic. And then I realized at least half of our conversation is all caps. So I don't know if you're actually enthusiastic or you just leave caps. <laughs> <I> on. Just... <laughs> I'm like an old person that doesn't know how to turn off her caps. <laughs> yeah um both i'm <laughs> okay. always enthusiastic and yeah perfect well yeah thank you and as you may know because i think you listen to this crazy thing that i've created i, I love uh, it um i start with how i know people and here's what i was thinking about because even though i think our connection originated in clubhouse i think i just know you via social media and i'll tell you why yeah that makes sense on okay. my end uh, you know, once you start adding like two people from Clubhouse on Instagram, it's like, what about these 25 people? And you're like, fuck, okay, fine. Right. Um, and I saw you on Instagram, do you think, before I saw you in Clubhouse. And because of your name, I was like, oh, is this the chick I went to high school with? <laughs> and uh, and it wasn't. Uh, and it's so funny. And I think we talked about that very, very, very early on. Um, but that's kind of, I met you via social media and... Uh, the world of, of sobriety and and all that fun stuff. And th then it just skyrocketed from there. And I'm pretty sure that uh, you, you you either love me or are going to murder me. And I'm happy with either one of those. Both. <laughs> Good. I will love you while murdering you. Oh, got a real, uh, got a real. No, I mean, I'll love you to death. Poetic vibe there. Um, yeah, no, I, but that I, you're super entertaining and, and inspiring in so many ways and your energy is, is off the charts. And I, so I was excited to, to talk to you and, and I'm very excited to dive in and find out more because if we go all the way back in time, you're from where I am, uh, in Michigan, right? Yeah. If you take your left hand and you look <laughs> at the crux <laughs> between your thumb and your pointer finger, that little fat knobbin. I'm from just outside Detroit in Ann Arbor, Michigan, and moved to Detroit, lived in Detroit. Um, 
And that's where I hail from, though we have not been back. Once we left, we never looked back. Who's we? The family? We never went back to the murder, murder mitten. No, we as in the royal we as in myself. Um, there's lots of facets to who I am. My family still lives there, which is great for them, I guess. Um, I, I, you know, I'm a famous geographic puller and um, I actually have no sense of time or love, you know, uh, towards Michigan. It doesn't feel like home. Uh, I feel very much at home in New York. I was done with high school at 17 and then like pretended to go to college for 12 minutes and then moved to Detroit. And then, um, and then I think like a year or two later moved to Chicago and then New York. So I basically haven't been back to Ann Arbor, you know, uh, minus a few, um, regretful holidays, um, at my parents' house. Um, but really almost never. Um, and then to visit like my best friend's, you know, baby when she was a baby, she's since grown. That's how babies work. And, um, and yeah, I mean, I just, I love, I, I've always been searching for a sense of home my whole life. I always have felt unsettled. I, you know, that that's like one of those things that we all relate to. Um, and, and I, the closest I've ever felt to like feeling like home is New York. And I remember like flying into Manhattan or whatever, JFK or wherever, and just being like, oh, I'm back. And being Where, like, I've never had that feeling anywhere else. Can I ask the forbidden question of how old are you? Oh my God, it's not a forbidden question. I look amazing for 35. I'm actually <laughs> 35 and a half. Nice. I celebrated my half birthday on November 17th. I've been celebrating my half birthday every year because I made it six more months. Well, so that makes more sense to me because I find, uh, you know, I know a lot of people that that left here after high school. Um, Sometimes it's like I went to college and then I moved to a different state or whatever that looks like. And we're getting to this age where they're very likely you have been gone from here longer than you were ever here. Um, And considering we don't remember the first however many years of our lives, um, then you most of your memories are not from here. So I, I get that. I used to give my friend shit for that because she was on Big Brother and her bio oh, said cool. like from Chicago. I was like, fuck you, you're from Chicago. <laughs> like, excuse me, uh, we graduated together. Like you grew up here. And then uh, I was talking to her about that once and she was like, yeah, I've just been here for so long. Like that, this feels like my my home. I've been here longer than I've been at this point. Than I was ever when I say when I say like I'm from somewhere, it's kind of like um, like if if someone were to find my body, where should they mail it back to? And they should <laughs> mail it back to New York. My body, even not working, does not want to be in Michigan. So fair enough. Just return to sender back to Michigan or back to New York, not to Michigan. Got it. So I I, I like that vibe. Okay. Okay. Um, well, let's let's jump into the the area you left and don't like. Uh, <laughs> do you have any siblings? Yeah, I do. I have two brothers, uh, an older brother and a younger brother. I'm in the middle. I'm the middle child. Three years older, three years younger. Oh uh, the older brother lives in what? Chicago and the sandwich? younger brother in the, Utah. It's a This is the second sandwich. person I'm in the a row feeling. that I've talked to that has three years older, three years younger. And that's... Uh, My parents were like, we don't like each other, but if we're going to do this, it's going to be every three years. <laughs> so let's give it one try. Yeah. And if it happens, it happens. And it worked, so that's good. Um, what's, yeah, and, what's and my brothers like 
in, in Michigan. Oh, God. It's so funny because I was a little nervous about you asking that question because I know you asked those questions. Um, <laughs> I, I don't, you know, my brain's a little broken. So I have BPD, um, which is borderline personality disorder. And I know that I had a happy childhood. I know that I don't have any like traumatic memories that like come up. And for me, I just had like a bunch of friends that I just like loved playing with all the time. And my parents provided for us in a very middle-class way and like a real sense of a middle-class way, not like in the, um, like, uh, Williamsburg, uh, my parents are upper middle-class way and, uh, and my parents stayed together. And, you know, I, I don't, you know, there were some things that permeated my childhood that like started very young that continued well into my thirties, which is just like, what is my purpose? What am I doing? What is my purpose? What am I doing? From like the time I was like seven, you know, in childhood, I, I don't, I know that I was incredibly insecure and that I hated my, the way that I presented in the world, just didn't like the way that I looked from just the time I was like very, very young. And so I think it translated into how much I like other people and that condition, that sort of like intense insecurity, um, really wild, like attachment styles, um, is very BPD. Um, I have not been, I wasn't diagnosed with BPD until, um, this year, February, 2021. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So my whole life, I thought I was bipolar. People treated me like I was both bipolar. gave me medication like I was bipolar. And then I found out what BPD was and I was like, oh man, I ain't bipolar at all. Like well, I'm just BPD crazy. This is great. <laughs> let's, let's, before we dive down that road, let's, <laughs> yeah. let's jump back to your, you're a kid, you're, you got all the friends, um, and it's funny, it's funny to me that the first thing you mentioned when I asked about your childhood was that you have uh, <laughs> borderline personality disorder. Um, and I'm wondering where that plays a role um, in how you think about your childhood. But I'm also wondering, like, what were you, what was your relationship like with your brothers um, growing up? Oh, I was, my younger brother was my very best friend. My older brother was always a little too cool for school. Um, Alex is my younger brother's name and we just did everything together. Just every little goddamn thing together. You know, where the, the pictures of us in the bathtub, like he probably pooped in the tub. Like that, like we did, you know, we did everything together until, you know, until I became an adult at 10 because I thought I was an adult at 10 and I got into like a lot of trouble and I, um, got into so much trouble. Like all the time I was like always constantly grounded. Um, and always like I was, you know, getting in trouble with like the law at like so, age 11 and 12. Yeah. What, what so if that's childhood, that was that. But what influence comes in that flips that switch then to your, your um, friends, you're getting along with your little brother and, and then 10 years old, something happens. Are you like, is that someone you're hanging out with? Are you, is your brother, is your older brother getting in trouble at that time? My older brother is sort of getting in trouble, but I really just think like I, my default is like, what is more fun right now? Um, and also like, can I hang out with people who are different than me, who are not like me, who are more interesting than I am? And that often can manifest itself into like the marginalized persons in society or in the class. And I always thought it was so interesting how, you know, people who, uh, you know, weren't traditionally doing well in school uh, could really like turn on a charm in, in a heartbeat, like, or like have like a certain wit or uh, like just looked at the, the world differently. So whatever I was supposed to be doing, I did actually quite diligently. 
um, I, and like got really good grades in school. Um, but like things always came up for me, like, you know, as, as uh, much of a people pleaser as I was, I was also like dyslexic. And so I didn't want to let anybody know I was just dyslexic. So I like memorized the books. And then like, when it was my turn to read aloud for like a new book, I would like act out in some way. And I would mirror the behavior of the other people who would act out in class, which would both like befriend them. Also like ingratiate me with like some other people in class because I'd be funny even though I was like getting good grades and then like the teacher would be like oh she's just like she's acting out this one time you know let's let's take her under our wing because she doesn't act out always so it's this kind of like weird middle ground of like I uh, always being like an underdog always being like she has so much potential and then like at 10 being like oh she doesn't have behavior problems she just can't read because she's dyslexic um and so, so like yeah I, well I, I so that that is an answer that comes from going over that a lot. <laughs> so I, I, it's so you, true. So I, um, I, and I don't know if I interrupted you right when you were about to to get to this, but I'm wondering what that if, if you figured out like what if there was a catalyst moment like for me, and I'm I say this for I, I'm always projecting every question I ask is a projection of like my own shit. Um, Love that. <laughs> But, you know, so I was sexually abused when I was 11. Uh, and then there's like, there's a, just kind of a downhill <laughs> from there. And I didn't even realize that's what it was at the time. Um, but like looking back, I'm like, oh, okay. Um, so I, I can find like a, a switch. And that, like, that was also just terrible time. Like we also switched schools that same year. And so like, I lost all the friends I had, like everything happened at once. But those are like things I can tie back to and be like, oh, okay, it was like this, this, and this. And like, because of these resiliency factors, you know, I didn't like kill people. So it's, um, what, uh, you keep going back to 10 years old. Is there a specific memory that may like, oh yeah, I remember my 10 year old birthday, like <laughs> cops came like, what, what, why 10? I would, I would love for that to be the case. <laughs> like, so with BPD, the reason why I bring up BPD is because um, like a, a lot of times people who have borderline personality disorder have had intense trauma in their life. And I have created enough trauma like throughout all of the insane things that I've done through my drinking and drugging. Um, I, but I can't point to anything in my life that was particularly traumatic. I know that I was born early. I know that I was incredibly sick as a baby. I know that I cried the whole first year of my life. And so I think that my mother had trouble attaching herself to me and then me subsequently to her um, because it was insufferable. I mean, like, obviously it's like not my fault and like, it's also not my mother's fault. Like, I mean, there's only so much you can take with your central nervous system, but I just never felt, I've never felt close to my parents. Um, I've never felt like, um, like they are a source of um, like warmth and comfort for me. Um, I was really sick as a kid all the time. Um, so we would go to the hospital a lot and I had these like really wonderful memories of like hanging out with my mom in the hospital. Um, Do you have like a compromised immune system or something? I had incredibly horrible asthma. Like, like, and yeah. (laughs) And so it would, and they also like, didn't quite know what I had. So I was like, cause I was just so sick all the time. Like when you see pictures of me as a kid, you know, a lot of times people will go back and visit their photos as, as kids. And they're like, Oh my God, like I was so cute. And I look at myself when I'm young and I, my response is like, what a pathetic little girl, because I was so 
needy. And I was like, I had these big bags under my eyes because I never slept and I was super thin. And I, I just like, I, I don't, I don't, I, I, it would be so great if like, it would be so cool for me to be like, nah, man, like I had this pastor and he was super inappropriate with me. And then I would be like, oh, that makes sense. Why are you so crazy? But like, it's not, I, I think it's a combination of like, you know, and, and BPD, we also talk about um, like uh, being born to parents that just don't know how to give you the love that you need. Yeah. And I don't think that again, like, which is just, it's just like a, it's just like, God was like, I messed y'all up around my bed. And like, they love me. Um, I needed a different type of love. I also think my brain was a little like, again, from being sick at such a, I was so sick as a baby. Like I had these high temperatures and meningitis and all that stuff. And so maybe my brain just formed differently. Um, so it manifested me just being like very hypersensitive. Um, you know, and again, like I've clearly gone through like a lot of therapy. So I'm like, I know about this shit, yo. Uh, but I, in, in only in this reflection, if you had asked me like, did I have a happy childhood? I'm like, I think so. Yeah. My mother would be like furious because she worked so hard to like, you know, give us a happy childhood. But I don't think she understood how to give me like what I needed. And my father was like the breadwinner. And I think he was just looking forward to having adult children. Again, these yeah, are wonderful people. I think it's difficult to answer that question sometimes, um, especially if you're an empathetic person without thinking of your parents um, reaction to that answer even if it's not being recorded and it's just they're not in the room but you uh you, you almost have to think about oh what would they think if I said my childhood was this <laughs> I, I I would normally be like no you're right like I'm sensitive about that but I'm actually I think it's like maybe it's a combination of just like going through like fifth step work or like whatever I just am am not just empathetic for their sake it's for me like it doesn't do me, it doesn't make me feel any better to blame them. It doesn't change anything for me. And I actually just don't, right? Because I've been in interpersonal relationship, friendships and romantic relationships and just, which I was not able to give the person the love that they needed. And I also, and, and I couldn't match that, right? No matter how desperately I wanted to, yeah. I couldn't match that. And I, you know, I, I just think that I was matched with two people and especially in my adulthood, I'm not close with my parents. Yeah. I'm not close with them. I manage that relationship very, very strictly. Um, especially now, I don't think they can give me the love that that I I need. Um, but you have to like meet people where that. So it's like, I, I just think it's more like, instead of like, instead, I, it's easier for me to like live in that gray of being like, it's a bunch of things. And this is how it turned out. Yeah. And like it, somebody else with like a different concoction of, you know, small slights like small wearing away would have a different reaction and ultimately it made me incredibly resilient but in the very beginning searching for purpose and place was a huge thing for me and so when I found the bad kids who thought I was cool man did I thrive right so like stealing cars smoking cigarettes drinking you know uh not really a whole bunch of pop but like literally like sniffing glue choking each other out so we could get high like I was living and then also simultaneously like getting good grades in school. Like I needed all these things to happen. So it's when I talk about my childhood, like, yeah, sure. Like I have parents that like fed me. My brothers were cool, but like I have always lived for and crafted my life around my friendships yeah. and now live in a world in which like my holidays are like with my chosen family. The people that I buy gifts for are my chosen family. Um, and the people that I show up for and spend a lot of time with are my friends. 
I don't know how that's going to manifest for the rest of my life. And it's also the way that I've now crafted my life as like a single woman. Um, You know, I, I don't know how this will manifest because I don't think I'll ever have a traditional family. Um, Cause that's not, that's didn't work for me. So I want to go back the, the therapist brain in me wants to go back to one thing you said. (laughs) Um, Your big, beautiful brain. uh, When you talked about yourself as a kid, and you you just talked about you look pathetic. Is Ugh, there what a pathetic there, little girl? Yeah is is there a part of you that, and I mean especially going through, like sobriety, right? And, and some of the work you have to do there, isn't there a piece of you that that has learned to accept that that's a child you're talking about that like could only help herself as much as a child can and and, and maybe. She like, it just, it, it's almost hurtful to hear you call your childhood self pathetic because that's, she's just a kid. Like she didn't, you know, like she, uh, I know, but like, yo, you know, some kids you don't like, okay. Like let's not front like every kid, like they can be annoying or whatever. Right. I, I, again, like, of course there's a version of myself that like has empathy for that child, but I don't, I don't rewrite like what I went through and I know I know I'm just wondering if you are holding anything against that version of yourself like holding her responsible for not providing you with what you uh, had to figure out later maybe a harder way (laughs) um (laughs) yeah I definitely I I think I think you're not wrong to call me out for that because I really when I think back to who she was and what she needed and how badly she needed it from people and how wounded and hypersensitive she was. It really, um, it just like it, my immediate response is just like, you know, like I just roll my eyes because I, (laughs) I, I want her to learn the lesson sooner. So she doesn't get hurt as much as she will end up getting hurt. Um, Because, you know, she will go, go through a lot of like wild, weird decisions in her life, including ones she's currently making at 35 and a half. Um, and, and I just, yeah, I, I, I think again, like I, it is one of these things, like I, I live in the gray with it. It's like, yeah, I can have empathy for that person. And I, I'm not like voodoo dolling past versions of myself being like, you suck. Yeah. And I'm not waking up tortured by it, but it's also like, I don't know why, like, why do I have to like love that her? She literally isn't real. And, and like whatever, whoever she was at that time uh, allowed me then to, you know, become the person I am today, which I'm like not super angry about right now. No, no. And and that's, I didn't mean it that way anyway, but I, and part of this is from me doing like a bunch of EMDR and hypnotherapy where I'm like, I talk to childhood Justin all the time. (laughs) Um, and I used to hate him, uh, but just, okay, jumping past that, though, um, you said you left high school at 17. Was that because of grades, because of, uh, like, age? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I basically was able to graduate a semester early. Okay. I went to community high school, which is uh, – it's an alternative high school. Um, it's a lottery, so – and so anyone basically who was interested in going to a non-traditional uh, schooling system did that. And I could take classes at like U of M and oh. um, 
uh, WCC Washington Community College when they didn't offer courses. The the system at the time also was like if it was like a state sanctioned class, I had to show up for um, like attendance. But like when it was just like a another class, um, the teacher then would determine if attendance was part of the grade, and oftentimes it wasn't. So and also you could like get other teachers to qualify to be your teacher. Or they wouldn't. They didn't have to be like a licensed teacher you could be like yeah. there's a filmmaker in the community who like wants to teach me and i'm southern for some reason and <laughs> and then they'd be like great have this person fill out this sheet and then you would and then they would you'd be like i took film 101 in you know junior year of school i also just i you know i was already so far into my drug addiction by the time i was like a junior sophomore so what does that freshman. what does that look like what was your drug of choice as a teenager <sighs> whatever you found on the floor. What is that? The game was, the game was, I wonder what that is. Let me take it. Um, I very much, I, I really, the, the one drug I just really could never get into was like smoking pot. I just like would fall asleep immediately. So it was the, like the really most basic one was the, yeah. you needed something heavier. <laughs> oh yeah. Like big fan of just like crushing up Sudafeds, um, big fan of taking any sort of like prescription drugs, crushing them up with putting them up my nose. Of course, alcohol, um, opioids led to, you know, would end up leading to intravenous drugs and using heroin. Um, that wasn't quite, I had used it probably maybe once, maybe, maybe once or twice in high school. That's kind of like money years, like maybe like going into college. By the time I was like college age, you know, before still I was maintaining 21, good I was and everything throughout this. Oh yeah. I like the double life is like, Oh man, I crushed that crushed yeah. it. Um, never slept, um, always was like, sne- like literally I had my, my parents were so sick of people calling the house phone by the time I was in middle school, like uh, sixth grade that my mother got me my own line. And that was, that just then like allowed me to like take calls at all hours of the night. So I'd like turn off the ringer, but you could like still feel the phone. Yeah. I'd get a phone call. I'd jump out the window. We'd go like take cars for joy rides and whatever, you know, do drugs and hang out and have a great time. Um, that's where I learned to drive for the first time. It's, you know, also the first time I got my first DUI. This is all before I was 21. Um, and just like hang out and be with like, and have like a really great time. And then I would climb the basketball hoop back up to my um, room. And so that was like very, and by nightly, I mean like nightly. And then people also would, when I didn't want to like go out, people would come up and hang up, hang out on my rooftop with me because you could climb up the side of my parents lived in a second story house. Um, and it was like rather simple to do for nimble children, I guess yeah. we're children <laughs> and just like long, just like long conversations, constantly in conversation with people talking about life, the moon, planets, multiverses, love. I'm like 11. I don't know who the, I thought I was, but I like love to talk about it and could talk forever if you guys can't tell um could talk forever <laughs> about things i never knew anything about yeah um and really that was my sense of belonging with a bunch of people and i was really good at drinking and drugging immediately i was able to like you know maintain being cool in class um i felt very much in my skin and at home um while on drugs you know and I never, and I, I was so proud that I like never got afraid to take anything. What's going right? on? Like, it would be like a joke. What's going on at that point? Like you're a teenager, you're constantly doing drugs, drinking, 
um, with your. I'm getting in trouble. Well, no, with your what's what's the relationship look like with your little brother at that point? I think we started to separate from there. So like because he then was like a little kid. Right. Yeah. So the difference between like seven and ten. It's so interesting when I think about kind of these big moments in our lives. Like my brothers and I could not be more different. My parents had a style of parenting. This is not actually a joke called not parenting. So they could not have raised three more different children. Um, they really wanted us to come in on our own. And of course, like there were certain rules like, you know, like they didn't want us drinking and they didn't want us having sex and like, you know, whatever, like at such young ages. But like the ways that my brothers and I all digested our childhood for how close we are in age, it's just is so developmentally different. Yeah. Um, and I think it manifested in like, we all really had this, it sort of like man, it manifested the same way. Like we all did really well in school until we didn't, we all had drug problems in our twenties. And then we all sort of figured it out in our thirties in one way or another. Your parents um, have any addiction history? No, those motherfuckers. It's crazy. <laughs> it's fucking, it's crazy. What takes you out of Michigan? So, um, uh, drugs. Uh, so I, um, drugs have just allowed me to see the world. You could either be a Marine or you could be a drug addict. Um, I, I was, um, let's see. I, I was getting in so much trouble and so much trouble in middle school and high school that I had to, to like, and I would always get caught. Right. Because I'm a, I'm a shitty addict. I would just be like, yeah, man, like I was still in that car. Like, yeah, I was trying to steal those pants or that CD from, you know, what, like Sam and Goody or whatever. Um, <laughs> Best Buy. <laughs> I'm, Best Buy should be out of business because um, of how much I stole from them. Um, but I would get caught. And so I, I had to do all these hours of community service, so many hours of community service that I was named Young Person of the Year. And my college essays were about how I was turning over a new leaf, right? Um, and these, and I was going into poli sci and I was going to change the world, right? Um, and and uh, I, I uh, got into a lot of schools because of that. Um and I had decent enough grades, like whatever, like a three, seven or whatever that shit means now. I don't even remember. Um, so like, you know, not it's literally not double the GPA like, I graduated high school. <laughs> well, there you go. I'm, I'm crushing it in the past. That's great. Yeah. Um, because, because those things don't matter. Yeah. Um, but so, so I, I went to like this college called Knox College. Uh, a good friend of mine had just been killed right before I went there. I basically lost my mind. I, I saw him everywhere. I never got any counseling, grief counseling for this person who... I'd gotten killed. It was like the biggest loss of my life. Obviously at that time I was 16. Um, and that's when my drug uses took off because my parents didn't know what to do with me. So they just let me do anything I wanted. And so I just was doing whatever I was doing, yeah. uh, but just more of it to all hours of the night. Um, also that's like when I started having sex, I had sex so much later than everyone else. I had, I was pretending I was having sex from the time I was like 13. And I, I don't think I had sex until I was like, like I don't know, 16 years old or something, something wildly late. Why is that wild? I didn't have sex till I was 17. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, don't get me I'm wrong. I would winner. have had given the opportunity. But... <laughs> <laughs> the... I was, I was in love with someone. I was in love with the same person. I was in love with Colin Henderson from the time I was 10 until I was, until Zach died. And I was 17 Shout and I wanted, Colin. I wanted to be chosen. Colin Anderson, man. I hope he's not dead. Um, I, he, I, I don't know. Uh, we did a lot of oxy, oxycodone together. Um, that's love. Um, so I, I say all that to say I, you know, never went back home because what would I go back home for? So I left Knox College. I don't, 
I was never, I was, I always had a job, right? I always worked at McDonald's, Applebee's, Chili's. Where's um, Knox College? I always needed my, um, Knox College is in Illinois. It's in the middle okay, of Okay, so Illinois. you're already out of state. Gettysburg. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then, but I like went back home, question mark, because I got kicked out of school. Um, and, but then I was like, oh, I, I'm going to, I'm going to go to Wayne State University, which is where my dad has, my dad's a researcher. He was sponsored by Wayne State. So essentially I could take classes there for free. I immediately got a job in the restaurant industry, 17, 18, started bartending and I had arrived, right? Like I was the coolest bitch there ever was. I'm 18 years old, hanging out with 28 year old boys. Hey, like I could go to any club I wanted to. I could drink anything I wanted. Um, and obviously I would never get carded because Detroit is four, like a four mile square block of just like any, like, if you know the people, then you're, you're good. Right. And I was like managing a restaurant by the time I was 20, um, and just working constantly. So like, I would always keep moving, right. I'm like a shark. And, um, and I would always do drugs to supplement that. So like a lot of cocaine, so I could still stay awake. And I like, was interested in classes and stuff and I would keep that going. But, you know, the drugs and the alcohol is what kept me, uh, you know, I don't have any memory of going to college really. I just have memories of like, you know, really diving into this like restaurant industry world, which I think like anyone who's ever been in that world for five minutes, like knows it's yeah. like incestuous and it's sexy and it's like, yeah. you feel really cool. And then like work at in night, hindsight, you're like, spend all your cash yeah. after work and like alcohol yeah. and then uh, do the same thing the next day after your hangover. Oh yeah. <laughs> I had yeah. drugs on the dresser with this guy that I was living with. It's like cocaine lines all the time. Um, you know, just so you could have it like coffee just like constant. Um, and, and then this person and I broke up, we broke up. It was like, Oh my God, I was, was right before I was about to turn 21, but it was a love of my life. And he was like, it, like, I just needed him. And he didn't want me. It's fine. Cause the woman that he was sleeping with at the time had a kid. They're now together. They've been together for a million years. Thank you, Facebook. Love creeping. And they he's like a born-again Christian. Oh, they have like 11 kids together. Like, you know, that, that path is not mine. So when we broke up, I didn't know what to do. So I started driving and I ended up in Chicago. And I met a boy, just like every other story. And I stayed in Chicago and I worked in the restaurant industry. But what I also discovered was acting. And that changed the trajectory of my life. So, so that was never an interest I of yours until then. No, I was um I was milky white in uh what is it called? Um Into the Woods. Do you guys know? I mean, do you know Into the Woods, Justin? The like the so, Yeah. Sondheim. The, the, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've never seen so it. So Milky but White I know is, they a, made that is movie. a cow. <laughs> yeah. And in the movie Milky White is a cow and and I was a cow and I was the cow's head at 12 and I was really cute and then I found out that the cow was not a, a real character they just made that character for 12 year old me and it was heartbroken and basically never did acting again but I had I actually like did it I you know went to like summer camps doing it had a bunch of friends who did it um but I never I was so surprised when I made the decision to be an actor when I was like 24, 25, I thought I was like going to tell everybody something that they were going to like, be like, Oh my God, this is crazy. You want to be an actor? And they were, everyone was like, yeah, duh. 
So apparently this is what I was supposed to be doing. But, well, so what does that, um, what, yeah. do, what does that look like that you, how do you discover that you want to act? Like, what are you, are you, are you drunk at an improv show? Like, what does that look like? Um, Justin, yes, that is literally what happened. <laughs> literally what happened is, so like, how do you make friends as an adult? It's like a really bizarre thing. Yeah. You know, drinking is the best way to do it. But I had just moved to the city. I didn't know anybody. I met somebody, you know, on Craigslist, moved into his apartment with him. Always, like not, always, like, a, good a, sexy th- always way. a good choice. <laughs> I mean, uh, I chose someone who's really cool. I mean, I lived uh, off Craigslist. Other Craigslist decisions, um, yeah. Yeah, for when I moved to L.A. at 21. So you would have been, what, 19 or 18 at the time. I, I lived off Craigslist. Uh, of like, course. That's how I found jobs. That's how I found sex. That's how I found uh, apartments. Um, Craigslist changing yeah. lives since and you know nineteen ninety one. Really went downhill. <laughs> um, I miss it. I miss those days. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you. I was sorry. literally at an improv show. No, uh, and I brought a six pack, and I was. Um, I think it was called the Playground. I don't know if it's still there. Um, I did like a pay to play. I had always sort of fancied myself as like interesting and funny. Um, in my high moments of like, whatever I had done, I had taken other acting classes and I had gotten feedback in a way that I'd never gotten feedback from anything else. Um, just like positive feedback, um, and different, different aspects of my life. But, um, basically from there, I had met some people who worked at second city, um, which is, uh, a comedy, uh, school in Chicago, and while I was there, I met a boy who uh, has become a rather relatively famous actor. Um, and I thought we were in love and I wanted to stay in Chicago. And so I did what everybody else does. I looked for any any school that would take me with rolling admissions. That was Columbia of Chicago, which I'm in New York City. I just say Columbia. Um, I'm lying. Uh, and they had rolling admissions and they also had like a BFA bachelor's, bachelor's of fine arts auditions. And I didn't really know what that was, but I auditioned and by the grace of God, I got in, which just meant that like, there was like out of the X number of hundreds of people that were signing up to be acting majors, they were like, we're going to pay a little bit more attention to these eight or 12 or something like that. I think eight. Um, And so that, that allowed me to then start to go to school for acting, which is ridiculous. What a ridiculous sentence. Um, And at that point I had enough college credits that I only had to be at that school for like a year and a half. So I basically did like a year and a half of acting school. And because I was in Chicago and the school wasn't a conservatory, I started to audition in Chicago immediately. So like I just sort of took this thing and uh, got excited about it really quickly. I had never been more excited about anything. And so much so that like, that's what got me clean and sober. Um, my first go. <laughs> so my what, first... yeah, I was going to say, what does that, that look like going to Columbia? And are you still at that point? Are you still drinking, doing drugs? And, or are you, I absolutely, you... yeah. I was doing everything under the sun when I first got into classes. I also was always working full time. Like I was like, you know, you know, and at that point in my life, like answering Craigslist ads, like I, it, I was fully financially on my own, you know, I had not, I wanted nothing to do with my parents, um, in that regard. So, 
you know, I would do sex work. Um, I also worked at a bar. I worked at a nightclub. I worked at a restaurant and I worked at Panera Bread. Um, brought to you by Panera Bread. So I could like do all these things into the night and then open the bakery at like 4 a.m. Yeah. Um, and and just, you know, this like, just this constant, just like, you know, whatever, just like never giving yeah. myself a chance Sex to Sex work and bagels. Delicious. Um. <sighs> I mean... <laughs> I would bring bagels. That's not true at all. I never did that. I'm mad at my see past versions of myself. I'm I had mad. a real good schmear um, joke that I'm not going to make now, but um. yeah, but we're all making it in our head now. And I'm walnut tofu. Um, okay. So I basically realized so it, when you learn how to act, you have to, you have to learn how to look at people. So you like look in somebody else's eyes and they look back into your eyes and then you like say lines that other people have said. If anybody has never heard of acting, there you go. <laughs> and me looking into the eyes of other people, I and they had to look back into my eyes. I realized I couldn't hold eye contact for a bunch of reasons. One, right? If I have just done blow, like I'm going to be slightly grinding my teeth. I'm going to be like fidgeting. If I've just done heroin, you're going to be able to see in my face. And also like, I mean, I would always do like these dosages to just keep me going, right? Not always, but like when I was like, yeah. you know, functioning. I was always functioning, um, whatever that means. Um, and I remember distinctly like doing some blow in the bathroom. And again, like, because I've always, I've never really like felt at home anywhere. I would ingratiate myself in all of these spaces. So I would like become good friends with the teachers. I would always be like this, like people were always like, who is this like little, like this, like runt, this like scrappy bitch. Like, who is she? Um, and so I like, would always like latch on to the teachers because I always thought they were super cool. And like the people who are high functioning in the classes were interested in this stuff because they're way smarter than me. And I know if I want to get by, I need to be around people who are way smarter than me so I can learn from them. And then people who are like, I can look like smart to the people who are dumb. Right. So like, I need to always be in that, you know, middle child status. Um, <laughs> so I, I remember doing blow in the bathroom while having a conversation with my music teacher. I was like in some sort of music class and like, I just get, I gave zero fucks, right? Like when you're at that point, when you're, when you're that used to being caught for stuff or you're that high in your addiction, like I would have turned around, done blow off. Like, you know, I would like wear those like little necklaces. Like I was like, and what is it called? Like cruel intentions, yes. right? Like I would Good do that Paul. like crazy, like <laughs> stupid 1990s shit. I would turn on, I would do like, like a spoonful, a little baby spoonful, a blow. I'll do it in the back of the bathroom. Uh, like, you know, the, I do it on toilet seats or whatever. Like in the middle of having a conversation with somebody who could kick me out of school. But like, right. I was just so bold, right? Like yeah. you wouldn't even believe it. Like and I would do shit like that all the time. I would drink water bottles full of gin. Like you would be a half a step away from me. I just would, it was so ballsy. And a little bit, it's kind of like, it's that thing of like, are you going to call me out or what? You guys, as my audience, you know, I'm concerned about your well being. I want to make sure that you are living your best life. And that is why I've paired up with well being brewing to help raise your well being and give you 10% off anything you want to order from well being brewing. Dot com. Go over there, check it out. Whether you want to be intentional with your non-alcoholic beers and get an intentional IPA, which is 
in my top three, or uh, maybe you're an exercise person. I don't know what that's like, but <laughs> if that's who you are, their victory wheat uh, has electrolytes in it. And you guys, it's non-alcoholic beer, so you're not going to get dehydrated from the alcohol. It, you can literally rehydrate yourself while enjoying a nice uh, wheat beer with a little lemon on it. And I mean, what could be better than that? Set your intentions, raise well-being, head over to wellbeingbrewing.com and save 10% using code friendrequest at checkout. All right. Okay. Back to the show. And, and then I would, I would have like a happy demeanor around it. I remember doing that in the bathroom, talking to my teacher and then walking back and singing something. And we had like a guest we had like a guest teacher for the day who was like a big actor in New York or sorry, in, in Chicago. And not that he called me out, but he was asking me to access things like emotionally that I was unable to access. Yeah. And then he was asking me to look at him while kind of doing this song. I mean, it, all of it was like, it sounds creepy, but it was totally appropriate in an acting world. Um, not even like back in the day, it's totally appropriate to do this stuff. And I couldn't do it. And I... I just, I, I just have this like very distinct memory of just being like, I want this other thing this much more. It's, it's a very small amount for those of us who can't see my fingers. This much more than I want the other thing. And I was also always just so tired. Always so tired. Yeah. It wasn't about like getting caught. It wasn't even about double lives because my lives are so separate, right? I had my stripper friends. I had my nightclub friends. I had my you know, Tavern on the Green friends, my Panera friends, I had my school friends and none of them ever missed, right? So no one could ever call me out. I was sleeping with everyone. So no one was ever like my serious boyfriend until they were, you know, I just, I just was constantly juggling. So it was never about that. I just got really tired and I wanted to do this thing a little bit more than I wanted to do this other thing. Yeah. And so that, that eventually got me clean like a year later from intravenous drug use. Yeah. And then also like my whole life was always like, man, I wish I hadn't fallen asleep on the, the subway and ended up on the other side of the red line. And where the fuck is my wallet? And, you know, I'm a woman who's like literally would walk all hours of the night, you know, ride my bike at all hours of the night, you know, do like be someone's escort and then in high heels bike home at four in the morning because I didn't want to take a cab, but I'd be fucked up. Like just constantly putting myself in these situations where like the, like things would happen. Like I've been held up at gunpoint twice. Um, like, and that's not even traumatic to me. It was just like, Oh man, like, all right. Like in therapy, it's like, yo, Mac, you've had some trauma. And it's like, yeah, it looks like trauma. And it like, sounds like trauma, but like, it didn't feel like trauma. So desensitized. Do you remember that feeling of, okay, so this is how I'll, I'll relate to it or how, how I'll explain it. I remember the first time I saw weed, my older brother brought it home and like that gut feeling of like, oh, I'm, I could get in so much trouble, like in my mind as like a whatever 11 year old or something, like I'm thinking like, oh, the FBI could come to the house right now and I'd be, you know, like just this feeling of like, uh, you know, moral wrongness. You grew up with, with the D.A.R.E. program as a kid in the 80s and 90s. And and then the first time I've seen like, you know, X, Y, Z throughout my life, there's that first time there's always this like gut reaction of like, oh, I know that this is a bad thing. 
and that I could get in trouble. And it sounds like if you did have that, and I imagine you did at some point, but it sounds like that's that was just turned off at one point. And so when you find yourself in these crazy situations of being like held at gunpoint, you're like, well, oh, bummer, bro. So <laughs> like, do you remember those feelings? I and do. you do. still I get them at all? I remember like every single time I would take, you know, there'd be, I find a pill on the floor and I'd be like, I wonder what this is going to do. And every time I. That is a reckless would, decision. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, there's like hilarious stories. Like the things I would put up my nose and then be like, my nose doesn't work. Like, like it would like blow up and like, like just like putting Seroquel up my nose or like horse, horse tranquilizer up my nose or like. I don't know. Like oh, now that uh, ivermectin, it's uh, super popular now. Um. <laughs> yes, I mean, I'm sometimes I get really sad that I'm sober. Not that sad, uh, mostly, but like, uh, right? There's like so many, so many fun things to take these days, and to take them in different ways. But um, I <laughs> so no, I, I every single time I would do something like that where it takes thirty seconds to hit. Um, you know, uh, shooting up heroin, like there's a, there's a, a minor lag. Right. And I just, every time it's this like, man, I wish I didn't do that. Yeah. And I mean, like from the jump, like from like the first time I, I wish I hadn't, I wish I hadn't take the, taken that shot, man. I wish I hadn't done that, man. I wish I hadn't responded to that. I mean, but then, but then you're kind of like, but I already did it. So like, so I, I used to say, my thing used to say, my, my thing used to be like, I would do a thing. I'd look at whoever I'm with and I'd say, gotta go. And then whatever would hit me and I would be wherever I needed to be. Right. Yeah. So just this idea. And I saw it was like my dark sense of humor to be like, I don't know, this might be my last, whatever the fuck. I don't know. Gotta go. So that was my, I, I do. It's such an interesting, I don't know if I've ever, ever articulated that or thought that. And I'm grateful for that sort of awareness to be like, I, and even, even now, I mean, there's been times where I've been prescribed um, medication for at the time was, they thought it was bipolar and just being like, fuck, I wish I wasn't taking this. It's not because like, I have like a weird thing against drugs. I just knew it was going to, I'm so hypersensitive. I just knew it was going to make me feel a certain type of way. Um, that I just, I like, I mean, at this point in my life, I'm not on any drugs. I'm not even on birth control because like that hormonal flux is, was too much. You hear that me. guys? No, I'm just fucking with you. Um, and I'm, I'm looking for a zaddy <laughs> and uh, you can even keep the baby. Go ahead. Support a woman. It'll cost you three grand. Um, <laughs> yes, 10, 10 while we're here. My bad. It's 10 grand. Sorry. I was looking at a dated form. Um <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine? It's a vintage poster I have on the wall. <laughs> oh god! Uh, I know what I'm getting you for Christmas—that updated version. I'm so sorry, surrogacy, baby. I'm so sorry. I'm not. Um, I'm not. <laughs> so anyway, uh, yeah, no, and that, I'm glad that that you you still have that little voice. And and it's funny. The first thing I thought about when you mentioned that was. Uh, and I brought this up year, years ago. Oh my God, it is years ago. How long have I been doing this podcast? Um, <laughs> Two years. Where it's gonna, it's about to be three. Um, 
Oh shit. Yeah. I'm in. 2022. Uh, but We're they, they surveyed true. all these people that jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge and survived. Um, mm. And oh. they, they asked them, like, would you, like, do you regret it? Like, was there a point? And the majority, I think it's something like 75, 80% of people were like, yeah, the second I jumped, I was like, oh, I don't want to do this. And that's what you saying that, like, right after you take something, you have this like, oh, wait, I didn't want to do that. Um, that's what that reminded me of. And I I have had suicide attempts too, and this idea of like, damn it, yeah. like I mean, it's just like it's silent after that, like damn it, um, which is also very different than like you know, I have a history of cutting, and man, I just like I got it all, you know what I'm saying? I got it all, um, and the cutting's different because it's it's an attempt to manage a feeling, not an attempt to make the feeling 100% go away, um, and so for me, like wanting to take myself off the planet. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Like, God damn it. I wish I hadn't done that, but I guess there's nothing I can do now. I hope you don't have that. Not being proactive to anything. (laughs) (laughs) Like a little, like, it's kind of like, you know, the feeling when you log on to friend requests and you're about to do a podcast and you're like, why did I do this? Like super. I know that feeling. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's wild though. I, I am, I, I have felt that in other times in my life. Um, yeah, when it comes to prescription drugs or even, I don't know, like even taking too much cold medicine. I don't know, whatever. Like, yeah. God damn it, I wish I hadn't done that. Like <laughs> uh, taking a melatonin. I'm like, God damn it. So jumping back to your acting, you quit using intravenous drugs. Um, the way you phrase that, I'm guessing you're still drinking um yeah so very much so what because is, what it's is very that life? very cool to drink on the timeline i think we're only in your mid-20s so <laughs> what does that look like um we're here forever um yeah it just looks like i'm doing the same things that i've been doing but now i'm just drinking obsessively even more so right uh i you know when I moved to Chicago, I very much remember being like, well, now I can't get blow. And that took 48 hours, you know, um, uh, to be, you know, and then I would do crack and like, whatever, just like people were like, always just trying to give me shit. Like I was lucky. And, uh, and I, I, getting clean from intravenous drug usage was huge for me because that was like the first time I really had the experience of being like, in like a very serious way of being like, this is not something I want to do anymore. And then I would do it. Um, whereas like, it was almost, it's like almost like an ongoing joke, right? We know that like, Oh man, like I'm so hungover. I'm not going to drink tomorrow. And then, you know, drink again. Um, I, it was, it's totally acceptable to drink, uh, in the, you know, entertainment world. It's acceptable to drink in every world. So I don't know like what we talk about, but like, um, it's, it's also like cool to be a tortured artist who has like a slight drug problem. Uh, I just never, I just honestly could never smoke weed. I just would literally just go to sleep. I, even now, like this idea of like, yo, you want to smoke a joint? Like I could, but then like, I'm just going to take a nap. Like I can't. Like, Sounds I fantastic. It's like, I love naps. <laughs> <laughs> I, I loved removing myself from life. Um, but oftentimes when I would use drugs, it would be to like be active in life um, or to give me courage to do things in life. Mostly that was to give me courage to do things in life. Um, and so, you know, I got really good also at like, I I'm like, you know, the term would be like microdosing now. I got really good at like microdosing, um, alcohol constantly, like all day, every day. Um, and that just looked like my life. 
until I moved to New York. Um, How old are you when you yeah. moved to New York? 25. Okay. Um, I moved to New York because there's no other place I could go because I had too, too many DUIs to drive a car. So I uh, also got something called my equity card, which is like you're part of the, the theatrical union of actors. You learn how to speak like this and then they give you a card. And uh, and which it's rather, you know, that's a, it's a good age for me to have it. And um, you can't really, that means you can only do certain plays at certain houses that have a certain amount of money and Chicago doesn't, you know, have as many as New York does. And also theaters come to New York to get New York actors and then take you away to Alabama or Oregon or Oklahoma. Um, and cause they want that, you know, New York actor. And so, but really for me, it was like, where the fuck else am I going? I can't, I can't drive. So I'll move to New York city. Um, and a lot of my life was, you know, like joking with friends and roommates to be like, you know, am I going to get fucked up tonight? So many times, you know, starting like just so clear with people, like I'm not drinking tonight and then waking up wherever the fuck, you know, just like so, so often, so often that like, I just got really good at like packing the things I needed for the next day. So I could get up wherever I was and I could then go start my day Yeah, and like keeping things in different pockets. Um, Right. I mean, I, I just was so, I was so good at that. Um, because I knew if I went out, like there was a very strong likelihood I wasn't going to make it home. Yeah. What's so uh, that was, that was that. Has it always been, um, just as far as acting goes, was it always theater that you wanted to be most involved in? Yeah. I mean, theater for me is like with theater, you get, so I like acting because I like people I like other people's stories and I like and I it's like it allows me to actually be as far away from myself as I can be while also allowing to like inflate my own ego it's like in the best of both worlds right um and I but really for me I like the people who are attracted to that profession and I like the profession itself it's also like hyper bonding right like if you do a show you're in rehearsals for X amount of time, like two or three weeks. You're, you know, every night, like really late or like you have eight hour days or whatever. And like, and then like this idea that like there's a deadline and you like have to do the thing. And then like, you have to trust each other. So like inherently you walk into a room and it behooves you to like everybody you work with, to give a fuck and to show prepared um, or else someone's going to fuck you in front of a bunch of people and like not pay you enough <laughs> for that. Right. Like yeah. that's a whole different thing. Yeah. So I, I've just always been attracted to that, the type of people, that lifestyle, that like instant camaraderie, right? Like I don't even need to like, you inherently like me because I inherently will save your ass on stage. So there's a little bit of like combat mentality or something. Um, and, and it's like, it's, it's, it's the highest stakes that you can feel like you have while having the lowest stakes situation, right? We're doing a play, motherfucker. Like it's not like no one dies <laughs> at the end of the day. Like this yeah. is a play, yeah. But it feels, oh man, does it feel like you're so alive? And I have just always been really attracted to that and the people that do that. And I don't know anything about TV and film, but I also know that I hate my face. Um, I just don't like the way that I look in the world. I don't like the way I present in the world. I've always had that thing. It's part of also having borderline. Um, just like really deep, low self-esteem. Um, and so it's seeing like 
myself on screen could not be more of my worst nightmare, or at least when I was younger. Um, and so I've never been interested in that. Also, like, who wants to make money? <laughs> so, like, money, yeah. who wants that? Overrated. Um, so, yeah, I've always been attracted to theater, and, um, and I'm also very much attracted to new theater, new works, plays that are made now, about now. And that has been something that I've, you know, really wrapped myself full arms and legs around um, trying to figure out what like the trajectory of my artistic career is or whatever. Um, and also because I like got into acting late in life. I put that in quotes because a lot of people were like, were like, I was five and I was in my pageant and my grandma said I should be a star on Broadway and then I am. Um, that was not the case for me. At 25, I think I just listened to everything that everybody said and just with totally open ears because I felt like I was entering the world so late. So people were like, it takes 10 years to make an actor. So like, don't expect to think that you're anyone until you've done this for 10 years. You get to quit in 10 years. Do you feel like you're somebody now? (laughs) I'm fucking crushing, dude. I love this life. All right. (laughs) Says the girl who, you know, lives out of her car. Um, Yeah, I mean, I've I've chosen a really weird life. Um, I also... You know, uh, I rail against a lot of the things that traditional theater is. And so I make my theater world smaller and smaller. I should by all accord, like like movies and, and TV and film. It's just a very, it's like a totally different beast. It's yeah. like, it's like being in sales and then someone being like, oh, you sell mattresses. That's awesome. You should now sell pigs. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I'm a sales guy. Like I'll probably do that. But like, those are two different career trajectories, yeah. right? Like. They're, being really good at selling mattresses does not actually make you better at selling pigs, right? There's they're I'm two sorry, totally different paths. Do you have, do you have data on this? Um. Yeah, hang on. Let me look at my vintage poster. Um, <laughs> How, dare you. Right. How dare you call back to that? Um. <laughs> so, um, and one one does behoove the other, but yeah. I don't. I can't say I I can really. I mean, I've done films. I've done, I've been on a reality TV show. I've done a bunch of wild things, but. Do you have a, a number of of productions you've been in on stage? Uh it's 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 a it's too it's a lot. It's way more than my resume because I've been in like I've been in like horrible things. I've been I've been in things <laughs> that only three people came to, and none of them were my family members. Um, I I like I've been in so many bad new plays at different phases of development. It's. I want to brag about it. <laughs> um, and then I have like a resume that looks full with like things that of things that you would know. So like I've been in cabaret, Sally Bowles, and I've been in Shakespeare shows. And um, I have been in musicals uh, like Rent and whatever. Um, I love whatever. Those are things that people know. Um. Ugh, like... <laughs> Whatever. Did you play Clara? That was great. Um, <laughs> I played Clara. Whatever. Yeah, she's a lead. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. She only has one line, <laughs> but it's so good. Um, the delivery. Uh, <laughs> when do you what? get sober? Okay, so twenty-five years old, I start dating this guy who actually circles back to the most recent tragedy in my life. Um, he, I met him five days into being in New York City while I was drinking. Um, I like went home with him that night because, duh. Um, I was flirting with him and he's like, he's like about 
eight years or nine years, my, my senior, we were like in his upper West side apartment. And I was like, Oh my God, Eric, like you're so funny. And I like pushed him and then bounced off of him and then fell through his coffee table, his glass coffee antique table, split my lip open, split my hand open. I like now have nerve damage in my wedding ring finger. So like I'm taken by Eric forever. Um, and I started dating him immediately. Like we had sex at night, like, you know, whatever, like all that, like so much drama. Um, and he, and he was the first person that I would drink blackout and be like, so mean to, right. So this like sense of worthiness and love just like was not something I'd had about, I'd have, I, I had had plenty of other partners, um, both men and women who I had attached myself to. And like always inherently, like I was too much for people. I was always, I would just, Mac, you were too much. Um, and Eric suggested that I go to therapy this is my first real introduction to therapy at 26. And because I desperately wanted to stop being mean, I really thought this guy was wonderful. And I would just be like horrible to him, like horrific. Um, And then in therapy, this, I chose a therapist that I was attracted to, obviously a man, a white man. Um, And then he was like, I don't know, like maybe you should go to AA. And I was like, will you like me more if I do? And then I did. And I, did AA for the first six months, identified as an alcoholic, heard my story. Um, I had been in other substance abuse programs for the DUIs that I had had. I had walked into an like an NA meeting before and thought it was cool, but it, I didn't go for me. Um, so it's like on my radar, though I knew nobody else who did it. Um, and like drank the Kool-Aid. I drank it pretty hard, but I was very depressed. Yeah. Very depressed. Um, very suicidal. Um really then I acted out in sexual ways immediately to like compensate for it for being sober um and within six months I did like a photo shoot did a bunch of blow I like thought I don't know some like high rise it sounds way cooler than it was um the photos did not turn out great I can tell you that much um and then then kept it a secret so then I was like using a bunch of, I was drinking and drugging, but in secret, I made an Instagram account so I could confess all, confess all of my sins called Vino Veritas, where I like would leave post-its around the city being like, I just fucked my current boyfriend's friend and like leave it in Starbucks because I like thought I was an artist. And, um, and that was like, I did that for another six months until I like basically like changed my life, like, you know, moved in another place in New York city, broke up with that person, got together with another person very quickly and was like, no, 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 he's it. And then he was like less patient with all my drinking and drugging. And then was kind of like, you can't be with me unless you get sober. And at that point I also knew like I, it was yeah. just so clear. It was clear as day. It was clear as day. Um, well, did you that, get that feeling like once yeah. you went through the program once that you were like, okay, so like if I do something, it's like, like, I know I have an issue at this point, right? Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like you can, like, what is it? Like, um, I, I, I could not go out with a head full of AA, like, right. Like could not drink how I used to drink. Yeah. And also my drinking progressed. I started blacking out during fun things. Like you and I, Justin, you and I were like, oh my God, let's hang out. I'm like, oh my God, let's hang out. And then I'm like, let's put a bottle of wine. And you're like, oh my God, that sounds so fun. And then like we start bonding. We tell each other stories and it's really fun. We have like a pillow fight. It's like a great night. But I remember, and we don't even get in a fight, right? Yeah. And and, and we bond and it's beautiful. 
I would remember none of it. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, my whole life, I don't, I'm not remembering anymore. And I really wanted to remember some of it. Um, and so, right. I, I, it took me, I think my next attempt. Oh man. 28, 28. Then I stayed sober for almost two years, like a year and eight months. Um, and then I exited that relationship and burned it down and drank at him. And then I fully well could not be drinking, but knew I couldn't be drinking. And so drank so much more. Yeah. My last relapse. I mean, I just love relapsing. I'm just like super good at it. So, um, the last time I had a drink was October 6th, 2019. Yep. And so I just celebrated two years on yeah. October 6th, which is like the most consecutive time I've ever put together. Congrats. Um, thank you. And, and just, it was so clear. Um, I started when I was still drinking in 2017, it was so clear that I wanted to stop drinking, but I couldn't yeah. that I had started, I had started writing fucking sober while I was drinking. So, which is the podcast, the narrative podcast oh. that I have. I started oh. writing. Yeah, I, I thought you were, like, you were using that? fucking as an adjective, and I was like, that sentence didn't make any sense. But yeah, no, yeah. you're, <laughs> you're you must be referring Sorry. to your award winning podcast. Oh, ding! Um, <laughs> yes, I started writing my award winning podcast um, while I was drinking and drinking because I wanted a resource so desperately. I wanted something. I wanted to listen to something else so desperately that I would write it in between things. I mean, and I was always writing and making things, you know, to make stuff at people to make myself feel better. But I also like, as a creative thought, I did a better job while drinking. And then even when I didn't want to, I had to. Yeah. Um, and it was just, yeah, like it was, that, so all of that was just so clear that I didn't want to drink and that I had to. And fully 100% functioning, right? Like I got into a fitness career. I stopped, you know, um, uh, working in the restaurant industry, that was me trying to, again, change my drinking relationship with drinking, yeah. you know, uh, which just meant I could start drinking sooner and go to bed sooner and just wake up earlier, which is fine. Um, and like my dinner every night was like Olivia Pope style from Scandal, like a bottle of wine and it's a bowl of popcorn. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and I, you know, I, I, again, like every attempt to to stop, but I like loved it. I like lo I was like in an abusive relationship, um, until, until I finally that this was the least like I I was like on a hike with my ex partner. I just love dating people. It's so fun. Um, I was on a hike with the person who I thought was going to be my life partner, yeah. and when I met him at the height of my drinking, my last relapse, I met him while drinking, but I just wanted it to work so bad. And I, we were like on a hike and I said to him, like, I think I'm going to stop drinking. And he didn't know what that meant. He was just like, okay. And he didn't know that I was like tethered into AA and like recovery is not just stopping drinking. Cause he had a brother who had had a life threatening, um, car accident from drinking, stopped drinking entirely, but like, um, smoked weed as like almost like a medicinal yeah. medicinally to like function throughout the day, yeah. um, to manage so many things. So, uh, my ex-partner thought that he could still drink the way that he drank because he's definitely made of the things. He didn't realize that like recovery meant like I would like <laughs> change 
the whole perspective of how I treated people and my time and my relationship with myself and how then he could treat me and yeah, it's more the than way just that I would, drinking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 But, um, but it was quiet. It was like, there was not like, there was a couple nights that I had had with him that were like unacceptable, but he had, un- he had had unacceptable nights also. And I just, you know, I'm sick and tired. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. It's just that feeling. It really was. I mean, again, so many people identify with this. It was like that the last relapse was I either have to stop or I'm going to die. And like, I didn't have cirrhosis. I didn't have like, uh, I, you know, what? Like, I was fully, I had the you know, making the most money I've ever made. I was writing the way I wanted to write. I was part of like these groups of people that I wanted to be a part of. I had a community. Yeah. I missed AA in a really strong way. Um, and I, I just knew that was it. I mean, I just knew like as much as I know that I like macaroni and cheese, I knew that I need to stop drinking and and drugging. And I, I appreciate the, if I didn't stop, I would die sentiment, but for whatever reason, nothing drives me crazier than when people are like, Oh, you know, it was life or death. I was like, well, yeah. Driving to the fucking store is life or death. That's not an, explanation of like and i'm not saying like in just passing but like when you're having a conversation with someone and going into detail and people like oh yeah i just you know i had to it's life or death was like what the fuck does that even mean like provide some substance (laughs) it drives me nuts well it's it's just that i feel like it's the same way in which like we know when we're in love or like at least people who I don't know. Then again, like I say that from an SLA point of view, like, um, you know, like when I'm in love, I like, love. I'm like, Oh my God, my whole body's on fire. Literally when I fall in love with someone, when I see them and I fall in love with them, which is the only way I fall in love with people. Um, I get like a sound effect in my head that sounds like this. Doom. And the same way, the same thing with drugs, like taking the drug. I'm like, fuck that one. Really? And then my body's like, that's the one I'm like, oh, fuck. Um, but I, I, for people who, right, anybody who's ever fallen in love in any sort of yeah. crazy way, they're like, can't explain it. It just is. And there's a little bit of that, right? Yeah. I couldn't explain it. It just was. And also just like some like other things like, yo, like I wanted to lose five pounds. Like I couldn't do it. Like, you know, I wanted to like stop, uh, you know, being so tired. Like there was some tangible stuff. Yeah. And I get, I get that to me is like sick and tired of being sick and tired. Um, And yeah, I just, I don't know what it is. It's just like, it's that it's that thing of being like, I can't explain it to you. It's almost like I, I feel the, the a ghost of my ancestors. Like I know it's not there. I know it's not real. I can't explain it to you. But I I can say for certain, like that it that feeling is was real. And it just like was clear. And I I yeah I don't know. Yeah. And maybe maybe it's clear in hindsight because it sounds like a better story. But <laughs> it felt no. It felt I, really I mean clear. I I can relate. Just I mean. You know, I, I quit drinking because, but my, um, even, I even had a health risk to some degree and I still was never like oh, life or death. Um, it was like, yeah, I could lose my marriage and my job and my, like, there was a list of things that I, I would eventually lose because of all the terrible decisions I would make when I was drinking. But, um, there Ooh, wasn't... but maybe that is life or death. Maybe that is like losing your marriage, losing your job. Maybe that's like the life. Yeah, that but you see, then there's. I mean, if you want to jump into that, there's there's also like the self destructive oh, version of me that's like that sounds awesome, oh, yeah. and then I get to like you know leave everything behind and start over and f- like 
be like, what? I don't care about debt. Shut up. And go back to my, you know, 20 something self where I just made terrible decisions because I didn't think about a future version of me. (laughs) That is, that's just so, I mean, God, I, I used to identify with that sentiment so strongly all the time. It's just being like, like my best friend calls it setting it on fire or testing people. Like anyone who has ever been in my life in any real way, I would test and I would be like, what happens when I call you at midnight and say, I'm going to kill myself? Like, right. Like, like, what are you going to do? Not not answer the phone. (laughs) I'm on do not disturb mode. I'm sorry. (laughs) It doesn't work like that anymore. Um, No, but like, yeah. Can I, can I, if something small is happening, can I blow it up as big as possible? And I just don't function that way anymore. And that is a hundred percent due to my re-diagnosis and being sober. Yeah. Um, Discovering about every, like, so with, when you have borderline personality disorder, you go through a program uh, called dialectic behavioral therapy. Um, it's like a group therapy program where you basically like, just like AA, like learn how to be a human, but it's like catered towards people who behave a certain way. And there are certain like ways of being and living like this shit could not be more lame. Don't get me wrong. Like I roll my eyes, like all of the workbook stuff, but taking the suggestions has, you know, just like I did in AA changed my life. So like in DBT, there's like some basic principles, like, you know, uh, like there's one that was just like opposite action whatever you were going to do or you want to do, just do the opposite. Like, it's that simple. That shit will change your life. You're like, I want to yell at her. I want to yell at her and throw a fucking cup in her face. And then instead you're like, hey, can I get you some more water? Like, it's like And then wild. throw it at her like, feet. And then, Cause that would be the yes. opposite of her face. <laughs> Got it. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah, that's basically, I don't know, learning these skills yeah. um, is just something that was, I don't know, being uh, BPD, borderline personality disorder is just not highly diagnosed. Um, it was the best thing that I could have ever learned about myself and that I would encourage anybody who just feels like like talk therapy doesn't work. Um, it like spirals you worse or you have the sneaking suspicion that there's still something wrong and you can't manage interpersonal relationships um, to look into have like borderline because like you can literally recover from it. Like you can be in recovery, which is actually different than being bipolar, right? Like yeah. you have a, you know, if you have schizophrenia, like it's so fucking awful. Like you are on medication for the majority of your life, right? Or you're managing meds um, for being bipolar. That's very much the same thing. Um, or it, it often can be the case, right? But with borderline, you can, uh, you know, again, like I'm not a doctor, but uh, my understanding of it is that like you can rewire the pathways in a way that you can just start to have different actions. Yeah. And then those actions change your interpersonal relationships. And then you can function. I, I, I don't know. Like it's <laughs> really lovely to like function and to like have, really meaningful relationships. And I'm very like hypersensitive and, you know, I love the people in my life so much. And it's gotta be very I, nice people that are, you like, found that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Very, very much. Um, um, well, so you mentioned you have uh fucking sober 
uh, your yeah your, your podcast. Fucking sober is a podcast. That's why I, I just want to say you you are fucking sober. You just wanted a Webby for it. Um, I did, and you're making season so two, cool. right? Yeah, when we're coming out in January now. Okay, January. Perfect. We were we were gonna re- release a trailer in December, which is gonna be great. Um, but we had pushed it off just to like hit the wave of people who are looking for recovery tools in January. Um, fucking sober is one of the, my favorite projects I've ever done. I'm so happy that I did it, but I also like needed to do it. And that same way that like yeah. I needed to stop drinking, if I didn't, I needed to do it. It was like itching at my like butt for too many days, and I didn't have an STD. It was just the fact that I needed to, <laughs> yeah. just that I needed to make this thing. And anybody, I think we're all creative in many, many ways. Like all of us, if we just listen to that, but. I think all creatives understand this idea of being like, if I don't make this thing, my friends and family are going to fucking kill me because I talk about it all the time. I think about it all the time. I'm obsessed with it. If I don't, the pain of not making the thing is too great. So I have to make the thing, even if it's bad. Yeah. Yeah. I, and that is, when I try to make yeah. stuff, I always want, like, if there is, there is some accountability in that, right. And telling as many people as possible about it. Cause then like, yeah. you, you fucking have to do it. It can be terrible in the end, but God, you have to do it's it. True. Um, it's true. I've been talking about a memoir that I'm writing about my like two years in Los Angeles. And I been halfway done with it for about a year now. Um, Everybody hear that? Email this man, <laughs> ask him how it's going. I'll be doing it in a week from now. Well, all I want to do is send the first half to everybody I know so they can either say, keep writing this or don't, don't finish. This is terrible. <laughs> so, I'm going to tell you what they're going to say and it's keep writing it. Yeah. So if you want to do that, you can, but I'm really sorry. You're going to have yeah. to write your memoir. No, I'm going to send it to people I don't know and ask them if I should keep writing. They will also say, keep writing it. Bullshit. It's just, it's just how it works. Um, they will. Yeah. Well, thanks for those words of encouragement. Every- um, yes, I'm fascinated. I'm mad. It's not in my inbox right now. Well, I covered your whole life. Now that I know that you're doing it, I'm going to send it to you now. You have to read forty four thousand. I would love that. <laughs> um, what do you think I'm doing? I'm sober. I got time. I don't know what you thought. <laughs> this is the person that responds to me at like five thirty in the morning. I am waking up so I can train for an Ironman. Oh my god! Currently training for an Ironman. That man who I whose table I fell through um, got murdered in May. Oh my god! Um, yeah, it's it's probably the biggest loss of really my life. His name is Eric Anthematon. That's terrible. Yeah, well, you know, I uh, well, it's just um, it's it's the biggest loss of my life. I'm learning so much about grief right now. It's a huge juxtaposed with my friend who got murdered when he was 16. Um, this Eric dying is Eric, Eric being murdered. I I need to learn to kind of use that language. Um, is the, the biggest loss of, of my adult life and probably will be um, with how close we were and how influential he was on my life and the framing of my life and yeah. me as an artist and me as a writer, me as a person who, you know, uh, confronts social justice issues and the things I attach myself to um, really were influenced by him because I just thought he was super cool and I wanted him to love me. So um, I just like followed all the things that he thought were cool. And then, you know, we... Uh, we had a falling out because I got really drunk and was really mean to him. Also, he got a new girlfriend. And then we reconnected February of this year and then he was murdered at the end of May. And when we reconnected in February, we were both going through two big life-changing, we thought we were with our person, whatever that is, um, partner. We were going through these breakups. We were two exes who hadn't spoken for four years who spoke every day about our heartache to each other in this really safe space 
And then he helped me make a play that I wrote um, called Hashtag Breakup Content. Um, and he was a part of the play. And then he went on his Hashtag Breakup Tour and then was murdered. Um, he's just a wild, beautiful soul. And I went to, we're doing a memorial service for him every month. So I'm learning a lot about grief, um, which I'm probably actually putting into a eight episode podcast about grief. And one way that I'm managing my grief is um, to do an Ironman in his honor. So um, I, it, it allows me to spend a couple hours a day training and yeah. thinking about him. That's beautiful. So um, that's really tragic thanks. also. And People yeah. can follow you on Mackers NYC. Uh, Please on do give me some encouragement. Yeah, and yeah, you know, I see. We're making see lots of things. I didn't know that was the reasoning behind it. That's that's really tragic. Um, but I'm glad you're finding uh, people die. Oh yeah, I'm glad you're finding a positive outlet for for that. And I'm so glad that you took some time out to talk to me today. Oh, your podcast is my favorite. I love it. You um, say that to I, you everyone. Know. Um, That's just not true. It's just not true. <laughs> um, my favorite episodes are when you're getting interviewed. So actually, I think that was like my first episode I listened to was when you were getting interviewed and then I went back. Um, but you just have such lovely people on here who have such resilience and grace. And I've learned a lot from listening to the show. So if you're listening to the show and this is the first episode you're listening to, you fool, go back in time and listen to people who are much smarter and cooler than I am. But also follow me at Mackers NYC. <laughs> Find me at um, fucking sober, F-C-K-I-N-G, sober, S-O-B-E-R, nine zero um, underscore podcast. Um, and you can also follow my artistic journey as a producer and a writer and an actor at www.macstage, M-A-C-K-S-T-A-G-E, macstage.com. And um, can we point please, out you, you said anything, www? Um <laughs> Yeah, because it, it like gears up. I like I love saying it. I kind of feel like I'm beginning, I might be like wrestling. Um, yeah, I I love when people watch the content that I make uh, and it resonates with them. And I just could not be more enthusiastic when people reach out and um, would love to you know work with all kind of weirdo, sober, wonderful, artistic people. So I am so happy to be here. Thank you so much for being interested enough in hearing about my life yeah thank you for being uh, another one of those inspirational people on the podcast so oh you are so welcome yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think i'll follow so, you know, up the episode with the song that i wrote <laughs> um oh my god if you don't you're a fool you're a fool if you don't i uh, yes if you actually if you don't like i'm not i'm never i'm not telling anybody that i did this <laughs> i literally <laughs> i sing that song all the time you and I have lots in common My request is sent Would you like to be my friend? Would you like to be my friend? All right, you just listened to my interview with Katie Mack. Uh, <laughs> so many inappropriate jokes in there. That is that is my style. I can dig on that. Katie's got such a great story. If you guys have not listened yet, definitely check out her podcast, Fucking Sober. Um, it's about the first 90 days of getting sober, and it's really well done. It's a narrative podcast, so it's like storytelling um, and episodic. Is episodic correct? That's where you have to listen to them in order, right? I don't know. You have to listen to it in order, um, but it, it's really good. It won a Webby Award, so uh, you know it's you know it's good for for that, if nothing else. And I promised Katie at the end of the episode. Uh, so there's a story here. 
Katie posted something on Instagram where she was like feeling crappy and I was playing guitar when I saw it. And so I made a little song that was just like, Katie Mack, got to get back to feeling better. And then it was really catchy and it got stuck in my head, just that line. And so I ended up making an entire song based on that chorus. And I'm going to put that song at the end of the episode at Katie's request. She said she will not even acknowledge that she did this show unless I played it. And so here is my song, Katie Mack. <laughs> Thank you to her. Thank you to all of you for listening. And I'll talk to you guys next week. Enjoy the song. does not live near me Katie got into a fight with her lover late last night Katie did not sleep that great her heartache kept her up too late now Katie's life don't shine so well ask anyone and they can tell Katie Mack you gotta get back to feeling better Katie Mac You gotta get back to feeling better You don't have to feel bad for so long You just have to listen to this song Katie Mac You gotta get back to feeling better from time to time Every time I send her rhymes I write her lyrics every day To keep her broken heart at bay And everyone she passes knows And Katie brings it where she goes And I wish that she could see Josh brings to you and me Katie Mack You gotta get back To feeling better Katie Mack You gotta get back To feeling better You don't have to feel bad for so long You just have to listen to this song Katie Mack you gotta get back to feeling better Katie Mack You have to get back to feeling better yeah. Katie Mack You gotta get back to feeling better Katie Mack You gotta get back to feeling better